Hey, buddy, if you're going to make noise, you're going to have to go upstairs with mommy, okay? Or do you want to stay with me? Oh, not far. Okay, you want to you wanna come stand on this thing again? Okay, thank you. Yeah, you ready? Yep. Three, two, one. What's up, everybody? And welcome to Beer People. I'm Matt Prince. And I'm Chris Horn. And, and we're... Beer people. One day we'll get that. One day, one day. That was pretty cool. Yeah, or we won't, you know. Or we won't. <laughs> and it's cool. It's cool. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe we're maybe we're back to losing losing listeners until we perfect it. But yeah. hopefully not. <laughs> well, welcome everybody to season three of Beer People. We are so excited for you to be here. This is a great season. Matt and I have been working hard to um, line up some awesome guests from a wide array of backgrounds. And the episode that you're about to hear is one that's really near and dear to us. Yeah, Chris, this is a a local brewery to us, Philadelphia, Triple Bottom Brewing. They do exemplary work in making craft beer a more inclusive community for, for everyone. And, uh, and you're going to hear co-founder Tess Hart talking about her journey from community and economic development to starting a brewery that makes a point to employ folks who have experienced homelessness or have been um, incarcerated. Yeah, not an intro you normally hear for a brewery. <laughs> no, not at all. But, but awesome. I mean, really awesome nonetheless. Yeah, uh, awesome all the more, uh, in fact. And- yes. <laughs> really strikes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really strikes at the core of what what we're interested in. Um, both of us being educators and people who are just interested in um, the uh, as as beer person Brianne Allen puts it, anti racist, anti sexist, pro equality beer club members right here. Yeah, and Tess is surely a member of that club as well. Absolutely. So uh, we're really excited. Uh, to talk to her this is you know it's pretty incredible that we finally got her on here especially because we kind of been circling this wagon for a while so i'm glad that we were finally able to set it up yeah 100 percent. all right folks well without further ado let's get to tess's interview and then stay on after for a quick message about this season Well, let's get to it. Tess, welcome to Beer People. Thank you. Hey, guys. It's good to be here. We're so so good to have you. Yeah, so good to have you. We are thrilled to be able to talk to you. Um, You know, we've been enjoying your space and your beers for a long time, but we've also admired a lot of the other work you've been doing with your brewery. So we're really excited to get to know you and get to know more about Triple Bottom. So uh, we're just really pumped. Yeah. And a friend of mine, uh, beer person, Jen Loy, uh, and I actually went to the triple bottom um, like table at Philadelphia's kickoff to Philly Beer Week a couple of years ago prior to triple bottom opening. And we're like, oh, my gosh, let's we're so excited about this. So we've been following you from the beginning and it's super exciting to talk to you. Um, for day ones, that was we didn't even have a brewery yet. We were collaborating with other breweries in order to even be there at, at Philly Beer Week. Yes, yeah, and we we're like triple bottom, triple bottom line. What does that mean? And now we're now it's second nature to so many people in Philly. Like, oh, of course, triple bottom. Um, but I think so many people are also just curious about you. So, Tess, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. I. Uh... I grew up right outside of Philly, and so it's been great coming home. I spent a few years away uh, figuring out what I wanted to do in the world, and a big part of that was um, working in community and economic development, and uh, that is really where the mission of Triple Bottom comes in, is from that type of experience. But I also love beer in a way that is not like I am not a beer nerd. Like I'm not going to be the person to stand in line for a beer release. Uh, that's just not my scene, but I, I love beer. I love the flavor. I love 
all the new ways that you can enjoy it. And I love breweries. And I think for me, being someone who worked in community development, I fell in love with breweries as community spaces. And I'm a super introvert. So like this conversation is going to make me need to take a nap afterwards. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, not a lot of folks in our industry probably consider themselves introverts. Um, but it is, I have found that breweries are like this amazing space where my introversion sort of like falls away because people go there looking for a story, right? They're looking for um, to understand how the beer is made. They have a sense of curiosity and open-mindedness. And so people are like connecting with each other also in ways that you don't see in other spaces. So even if you are an introvert, like I found myself on every brewery I ever visited talking to strangers. Um, and I was like, this is weird. This is not who I am, right? Like I don't talk to strangers. So what is it about these spaces that really open people up and I think that breweries are amazing. And so it's been such a treat to try to build our own with really expanding the identity of like what community can be in this world and, and who gets a seat at the table and gets to be a part of that growth. So you talked about how you're not a beer nerd, but you love beer. So how did you first make that connection with beer? I have been exploring beer you know, since college and definitely my palate has grown as I think all of ours has from drinking like Natty Light to I think my first sort of like craft experience um, was Magic Hat number nine. I remember discovering that my senior year of college and thinking like, wow, this is so much better than Natty Light. And then it just gets better from there. Um, and I, I could never drink wine and really couldn't really drink liquor either because uh, it gave me headaches. And so as friends were exploring like life with alcohol beyond college and like more sophisticated things, I started getting really into craft beer because that was sort of my way to like level up how I went out and how I enjoyed socializing. And by getting into the flavors of craft beer, then I got into the stories Then I want to go to the breweries. Um, so it just kind of built from there. And you mentioned that you uh, worked in community and economic development. How did you get interested in that? And could you, for those who might not be as familiar, like, what does that look like? What is that? Yeah, it's a great question. I, so I've always been someone who was trying to figure out like what my social impact in the world would be. Um, I was the kid in high school who like, when I found out my high school didn't recycle, set up bins around campus and brought it home to my house to recycle with my parents you know, like tolerated, but we're not thrilled about. <laughs> um, so that was like, that's always been a little bit of my path. And um, I care a lot about equity in our communities and equal opportunity and grew up with a social worker mom and a community organizer dad and just saw a lot of ways in which like folks in our communities do not get equal opportunities and our communities are not invested in equally. And that was just something that always um, made me want to do more. Um, and growing up also, I think sort of we're like this, the first generation that really grew up knowing about climate change and understanding what that was about and thinking about how that was going to affect our communities unequally as well. Um, all of those ideas were sort of in my mind as I was figuring out what I wanted to do after school. And um, I ended up in a very cool place in DC where I was able to work with a lot of different organizations, each investing in their communities in different ways. So whether it was, you know, maybe building a community garden or building a, you know, responsible finance program so people could access credit or helping folks who are overcoming barriers to employment, find good job opportunities. I think when we think of community and economic development and sort of that like holistic ecosystem of all of the interventions that a thriving community will need in order to make sure that everyone has access to opportunity and that the community can survive in the face of obstacles ahead and be resilient in that way. That's a... Uh... That's really cool. Um, you know, when, 
we, Chris and I are both educators. We, we definitely get the, the need and the desire to provide equitable and fair and equal situations for people who don't necessarily get it. Um, and it's clear you leave a, lead a very passionate life where you have lots of interests or you have a, a big core interest that really drives a lot of your other interests in life. But on the side, what, what do you like to do for fun? You know, what, when you're not saving the world and, you know, owning a brewery, what do you, uh, what do you like to do? Saving the world one beer at a time, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> All drinks of that. Yeah. 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 Big dreams. I love that. Um, I, I love to get outdoors. So we live here in Philly. Um, and have a super hyperactive dog. So like we're outside on walks a lot, but getting into like the Wissahickon is always great. Always helps me reset. Um, we like to come out your way too and go on walks at Valley Forge and um, just get a little bit of a deep breath. And uh, I mean, this week I'm obviously watching a ton of baseball. So <laughs> uh, we're recording this during the World Series. And uh, I read a ton also. And that's, uh, I think that helps me, as I mentioned, I'm an introvert, but working in this very extroverted world, I think those sort of like moments of quiet that I can build into my day really help me balance everything out. Because you mentioned the World Series, I have to ask, because earlier on this week, there was a little friendly wager between um, the mayor of Houston and our mayor here in Philadelphia, Jim Kenney. And usually it's, you know, you offer up some of the more um, well-known, you know, food, beverage of the city uh, if you lose. Um, And Jim Kenney has offered up um, your beer, Triple Bottom. Although he did say six pack, and I don't think you guys have ever released anything in <laughs> a six pack. So, uh, Mayor Kenny, four pack uh, craft beer usually comes in a four pack of sixteen ounce cans. Take but, some notes, Mayor. Yeah. How? Yeah. How cool was it to have your beer, your brewery, chosen as the brewery to represent Philadelphia in the um, you know the sad circumstance that we lose? Yeah, I mean, obviously we're not going to lose, so right. it's going to be fine. This is going to be a moot point, but. It was so cool. Um, I mean, we're so new, right? Like we just turned three. We've been through a pandemic. We are this like small little brewery that could and still very much figuring out how we do this. Um, And so to get that call from the mayor's office that they wanted to have our brewery be the representative of of what they were maybe going to send to Texas. and, And the reason they wanted to do it is because of like our relationship with our community and the city and and how we're really trying to be connected in so many ways to uh, folks who are marginalized here and creating opportunity. And so um, that was super cool, super validating, but also just like love being a part of like a tiny part of this big journey for the Phillies. It's so fun. And speaking of all of those reasons that are great reasons for the mayor to have chosen Triple Bottom and are similar reasons to why we're such big fans, in addition to the amazing beer, can you tell us a little bit about how did Triple Bottom come to be? How did you go from doing so many of the or things that are rooted in so many of these core values that you describe of like community and equity and inclusion um, from concept to like voila? You have a physical presence and it's so well known that you're getting national attention now. Yeah. So it, it took a really long time. It feels like it's still taking a really long time. You know, like we have these blips of really exciting things. And then we're like, okay, back to like, just trying to mm-hmm. figure out the day to day. But um, I, I went to grad school and went with this sort of idea in my mind of, I was just fascinated by breweries and how they were community spaces. And I just thought it would be so cool if you could build a brewery that was also a social enterprise that really built on this idea of connection and community, but was like super radically inclusive about who it brought into the fold there and how it created opportunity through jobs, um, through taproom events. And I felt like, like so much of the work that I had done in in equity and in community development feels so isolated from the mainstream economy through which many of us who 
have the privilege to have well-paying jobs get to move through this mainstream economy, right? And then the social service work is often so much set up on the side. And I began to think about how a space that can be like such an anchor in the mainstream economy, such a vibrant place for people to connect, like a brewery, could also be this bridge to connect those folks who are experiencing that life with folks who are overlooked and underestimated. Um, and how, especially in a city like Philly, which has the highest poverty rate of any big city in the US, but also at the time had the fastest growing millennial population, which had these like two very divergent experiences. Like we need to find ways for these experiences to connect. Otherwise the city is just not gonna be what we all want it to be. Um, and so that idea was just keeping me up at night and I went to grad school and uh, it was a nice sort of step away from having a job. And I was able to really think about what I wanted to do in the world and try a lot of things. And this brewery idea just like would not go away. And so <laughs> we decided to try it. And so I started it with initially just my husband um, who had a similar sort of career background than that I do. Um, but both of us were beer fans. We're kind of home brewers. We're not going to be able to build a brewery on our own. And so we brought in a third partner, Kyle Carney, who's our head brewer. And we met him on the internet actually, but have, uh, you know, became friends and decided to do this together. Um, and he's been brewing since he was 14. So, you know, we have the mission side and that's really what drives us every day but we know that the mission can't succeed unless the beer is exceptional, right? Like people may come once for the mission and feel good about themselves, but they want to actually have fun and enjoy what they're drinking. Um, and so Kyle makes sure that we've always got great beer on tap. And uh, it took a lot of years of finding the location and fundraising and writing the plans and building all these relationships with nonprofits and getting the recipes right. And then uh, we opened at the end of 2019. A big part of uh, brewery success lies in their beer, and your beer is fantastic, but a lot of the publicity that comes your way is for a lot of the social and community initiatives that you do. And one of the main ones is in league with uh, a city initiative called Second Chance Employment. Um, can you talk a little bit about what second chance employment is and how you really view it as fair chance employment? I, I listened to your KYW interview uh, where you talk about, you know, the fair chance versus second chance. And can you talk a little bit about why you view it that way and uh, how you use it in your own business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this is the thing that at least at the moment sets us apart. Um hopefully everyone does this eventually. And it's just like a boring thing that we do ultimately. <laughs> but uh, for now, um, this is sort of a big part of what makes us different is that we are a fair chance employer, which means that we go out of our way to create job opportunities for folks who are overcoming barriers to employment. Um, and for us specifically, that means people who are returning home from incarceration or people who are overcoming homelessness. Um, and in a lot of cases, they haven't had a chance to have a, a work experience previously. So we're sort of the first step and there's a lot of training that goes in to that. Um, a very popular term for that is second chance employment. And that really relates specifically to folks coming home from incarceration. You know, you made a mistake, you got incarcerated and now this is your second chance. I think the reason we call it fair chance for a, a lot of reasons, you know, if we look at the systems that cause people to face incarceration, a lot of those folks were never given a chance in the beginning to really succeed. You know, there were no opportunities in their communities. A lot of folks are incarcerated for very small things. And we're looking at, you know, I know Joe Biden right now is looking at sort of like that war on crime and, and reframing like how we think about uh, like drug crime and thing like things like that. Um, so I think it also speaks to the fact that the justice system is pretty broken. Um, and so that first chance again, never really existed. And also to the fact that, okay, once you're coming home, people have done their time. It's only fair that you get a chance to really 
build yourself back up in your community. Um, and it's also wrapped up in paying a fair wage. And I think a lot of second chance employment, there can be the risk of folks just sort of looking for a low wage labor supply, um, folks who don't have a lot of other options to find good jobs. And so fair chance also speaks to our commitment as an employer to pay our team what they deserve, which is a living wage. I have to imagine that there's some obstacles that might come with like figuring out how to start a business in general, but then also to start a business with a unique ambition and the triple bottom line of, uh, tell me if I get it right, people, beer, people, planet. You know that, yeah. Okay, sweet, sweet. Um, and I'm curious for folks who, because like you said, it would be great if more people just were fair chance employers. What are some of the obstacles that might come with that territory in terms of maybe whether it's like recruiting, getting the word out there about like, this is what we do. Here's, we were reaching out to the, the market of people that we want to meet. And then in terms of training folks. Yeah, I think a big part is in that recruitment area that you talked about. And, you know, I think in any business, often when people have a job opportunity available, they they offer it around to folks in their existing networks. And for us to make sure that we're creating opportunities for folks who don't otherwise have them, we're often like really needing to go outside of our networks. And so we actually have three different nonprofit partners we work with who we always send job opportunities to um, so that we're making sure that we're commuting, communicating with people where they are. Um, and I think that that's just one, it's easier not to do that, right? So for a lot of businesses, that's the main barrier. It's just like, I know my network, I'll find someone in my network. Let's just end it there. It takes extra time to build these relationships beyond that. Um, and then it also takes even more time to really make sure that they're trusted uh, and that our us, right? That they trust us to be an employer who's going to look out for folks who need a little extra support. And so we've spent years working with these partners at this point, and we developed our employee handbook with their advice and their feedback. Um, so I think a big barrier is really just the time that it takes to build a relationship that's, that's successful, that's going to ultimately lead to people or partners referring candidates to us are a really good fit um, rather than just like a quick like sure let's try it um, we've had really great success with folks on our team growing and staying with us because of the time we put in up front to having our partners really understand what we're about um, so I would say that's the big thing is time and patience and and that goes into the training too is really understanding where people are understanding that they may face different traumas than we have and how do we make sure that there's space to communicate around that as needed um, and that they have the comfort level in our space to be able to take in new information and grow rather than just sort of be in this scarcity perspective that they've probably had to be in for a lot of their lives. So much like great stuff there. I'm gonna pause us for a real quick sec. Uh, you're, I think we got all of your audio, but it got a little glitchy at times and we can like pause the recording at any point. Uh, do you know if there, do you have a, um, like ethernet connector or like a different spot in the room that might be more stable? Let me go. I'll take you off video. I'm going to go closer to our router. Okay. Cool. Chris, you just said connector in a really weird way. You said connector. I know, I know, like, I don't know why. Like it was like an evil robot. There's <laughs> a, a connector. I was thinking like Ethernet connection, and then yeah. I was like, but it, it's not that. I'm looking for the connector piece because not everything comes with it, but it came out like I was talking about, uh, I don't know, something out of Transformers. Connector. Like <laughs> a spaceship. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Spaceship Decepticon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, I'm going close to the router, so hopefully this is better. Cool, cool. 
Okay, <laughs> let's do it. Sweet, sweet. So um, you talked about working with nonprofits to um, to for your hiring purposes when it comes to fair chance employees uh, and employment. Um, and you've also worked with other nonprofits and women-owned businesses. Um, how important is it for you to establish certain relationships with certain nonprofits or businesses in terms of building on that ethos that you have as a business? Um, how, how important is there are the relationships with other businesses in building what you want? It's a huge part of what we do. I think uh, it's both from a mission side and from a business side is the way that we feel like we'll find the most success um, and the way that we'll be able to help others in our community find the most success. So from the mission side, like who we hire and how we hire is tremendously reliant on partnerships um, and how we support our team, right? Like we do a lot of on-the-job training, but if some of our team members are facing obstacles that we are not trained to support, those nonprofit partners come in handy in a big way. Um, and we hope that we are good partners to them and, and helping them sort of continue to achieve their mission too of, of, of helping to stabilize and invest in the communities. Um, but then from a business side, like we've gotten to work with so many amazing small businesses and we do really try to um, seek out businesses who are owned by women or by people of color um, because we've had that experience as a woman-owned business that it is hard to get started. Um, lots of folks underestimate you. And, you know, we just want to continue to grow the pie of opportunity for businesses that, you know, are trying to do something different or are from a, underrepresented founders. Um, and in, in doing that, you know, we get to meet all of their customers, they get to meet all of our customers. So it just grows this ecosystem of people who are paying attention, who are enjoying all that Philly has to offer from these incredible founders and communities. Um, and we're also supporting each other as we figure out, you know, it's been a crazy three years to run a business, right? So these relationships have been super valuable, just even personally to to get through the day to day and figure out what comes next. Yeah, and along the way, you've made you've partnered with like a lot of folks. Uh, to name a couple, you've got Down North Pizza, Weckerly's. You did Brave Noise. Um, the last time that Matt and I were both at Triple Bottom at the same time, I believe Cafe Roasters was the in-house catering of the day, and they have their own. They're in themselves an interesting initiative because they are the for-profit arm of a nonprofit uh, that does like college and post-secondary counseling work in Philly. Um, there's so many great connections here. And you've also become a B Corporation. I, it feels like there's so many directions that you're going. <laughs> you mentioned that you're an introvert. There's a bazillion directions you're going. And you're also trying to like make enough money. Like you started not super long before the pandemic. And at a time when breweries in Pennsylvania have multiplied by over three times the amount in the last 10 years, how do you balance like trying to remain competitive while also trying to form relationships and also like trying to go for your walks in the Wissahickon uh, <laughs> and like have time to read? Oh man. I mean, I don't take as many walks as I would like. I think that's a starting <laughs> point. Um, but it is, it's, a little bit chaotic. And I think for any business that has these multiple purposes, there's always tension, but you also have to find ways that those goals that may from the beginning sort of seem to conflict can actually amplify each other. So for us, investing in partnerships, investing in like real meaningful trusting relationships with people that sort of set aside this like capitalist com competition and, and recognize that like we all, if we work together, maybe we can do a little bit better. That has become a competitive advantage for us, right? Like that is in a huge part, how we survived the pandemic was by teaming up with other small businesses on shared delivery services. And then by establishing a partnership with Eastern State Penitentiary and opening a space inside there. And all of that started with 
like sharing values and just commiserating and, and be sort of leaning into friendship rather than, you know, business strategy. And then that has evolved really naturally and beautifully, I think, into some of the, the best stuff that we get to do. Uh, it just also speaks to like the richness of the Philadelphia community and how many great people are here to learn from and collaborate with. Um, and so those have, those partnerships have opened up new business opportunities and helped us get our story out there more. Um, but you're right, like it is, it is challenging and like we're committed to paying a living wage, which is not a common thing for folks in our industry, right? So that's tough. That makes our bottom line uh, harder to, you know, harder to achieve our goals there in a lot of ways. Um, but it also means that like we have a really great team who we can rely on, who wants to stick with us. And so long-term, we feel like the benefits outweigh the costs. Uh, and it also sort of creates some constraints for us, right? Like we know that we're going to pay three or four times in payroll what our competitors pay. That's tough. That's scary. And like, if we weren't doing that, like our company at the moment would probably look a lot better on paper. Um, but one, it's the right thing to do. And two, it forces us to then get way more creative with how we operate. You know, we're not just going to do things the way they've always been done. And that's why we've found these great partnerships. And, and I think it's helped us stretch a little bit um, beyond what maybe we would have done if we didn't have these constraints in place. Well, we are always here. We here at Beer People Podcast are always here to question the capitalist structure down with the patriarchy. <laughs> yes. So we're, we're into all of that. Uh, and to go off of that note too, one of these collaborations that you're talking about that's hopefully helping in all those ways um, for your business and also for the world is Brave Noise, which was an initiative of beer person, Brianne Allen, who we had on um, season two. And for those who might not be familiar is a global invitation to participate in a common beer um, like recipe that also has a social goal and is largely connected to like helping women in the beer industry avoid the sexual harassment that has been like rampant for the decades or centuries that this has been a like white male dominated industry. Um, and you participated in that, uh, as did a few of uh, the other breweries in the area. Can you talk a little bit about what it means for you as a female brewery owner um, to have participated in that project and to be working for the betterment of like women in the industry? Yeah, I think, um, so we actually, we did not brew that beer, but we participated in a lot of the response around that movement. And so we hosted um, some great anti-discrimination trainings in our tap room for the whole industry that were, you know, outside experts. We are certainly not experts in that and don't pretend to be, but opened up our space to have a bunch of folks come in and um, sort of on the same vein brewed a really great collaboration beer called Our Choice, which was for abortion rights. Um, and that was something that happened because I just was listening to podcasts and getting really mad about the Supreme Court last, this time last year, hearing the case that would ultimately overturn Roe and reaching out to a few other women brewery owners. And so I think that gets to, um, it is a very white male dominated space. And yet there are a few women, even just within Philly, who are doing their own thing and, and running their own breweries and so finding solidarity among those and, and together we were able to bring in 16 breweries to brew at Triple Bottom, this great collaboration called Our Choice. Um, that was similar in timing to Brave Noise and, and the response just in terms of showing solidarity to women in the industry and more broadly. And I think, you know, we had a, we had a team meeting last week and we're talking about other things we wanted to do in the space. And a lot of our bartenders were like, we've just sort of become this safe space for women to work, for women who are customers who just want to go hang out at a bar and not feel like they're in any way at risk or unsafe of attention that they don't want. Um, 
And so that's really, that's an important part of how we're building this. And I think that wasn't necessarily my original intention. It's just sort of a, a side effect, I think, of how I make decisions as a woman who has come up through raising money in this industry and having to prove herself. Um, and as a side effect of just building a trauma-informed space for people who have other hard life experiences, it has, as a byproduct, then made this feel welcoming and, and opened a lot of conversation for folks who have had a hard time in this industry, but who love this industry and want to stay in it and want to find a way to make that work. I think so, it's a, sorry, no, it's a, it. it's a testament to how deeply like uh, those missions go to the core of triple bottom that I total mistake on my end that brave noise was not, a, it was our choice that I was thinking of. Um, and shout outs to beer people, Leah and Camelia, who are two yeah. of my favorite bartenders in the city, uh, who work at triple bottom, uh, and are just the best. Yeah, they are. So it's very rare that we could work our way through this interview with a brewery owner and speak so little about beer itself. Um, I think, I think that just, I think, I think really that just goes to show what great initiatives you guys have taken on and how your ethos speaks so loudly in a city where beer has such a rich history. So um, just talking about the brewery itself, um, you know, I kind of look at Triple Bottom as being part of the third wave of Philadelphia brewing um, or at least Philadelphia modern brewing um, post uh, prohibition when there were so many breweries and then yeah. they were all closed down. Um, it was you know, the second was, wave. Well, so the first, well, the, in terms of the first modern wave of brewing, I kind of throw like Dock Street, Philly Brewing, oh. Yards and and Maniunk Brewing kind of in the same, you know, they kind of came up at the same time. Uh, and then the second wave to me is like Crime and Punishment, and brewery arts they kind of and i guess yeah, you could probably yeah yes mm -hmm. yeah sec, uh, second story second district mm -hmm. um and then and then the third wave would include all the breweries that have kind of opened since then triple bottom you know love city human robot punch buggy i'm gonna forget many um mm -hmm. and then and then there's like the new age guys who just opened within the last couple months but what is it like being part of the brewing industry here and at oftentimes, I think by a lot of people, even locally, maybe being overlooked in terms of just how good, aside from the social work you guys are doing, but how good the beer is. Yeah, I think that the Philly brewing industry is incredible. I mean, you're right. It has such a long history um, and it has, you know, Dock Street was like one of the earliest woman owned breweries around, right? So it, it also has this history of of folks who are not typically in the industry participating in leadership. And that's super cool. Um, and when we came into the picture and, and started talking to other breweries, there was no like secretiveness of like, we have to like not tell anyone that we're doing this. Like we went and we met with Tom Kehoe, right? Like who is the head of yards and learned about what his experience was like. And I think there's this generosity of spirit among the brewing industry, at least here in Philly, that people really, um, for the most part, want to help each other out. And I think it's because this is such a great beer drinking city, like there is space for a lot of creativity and expansion within the brewing industry. Um, and so it's been great. And there's been so many fun events that we've gotten to be a part of since before we had floors in a wall, right? Like um, Chris was saying, you know, at opening tap where we were just doing collaborations with other breweries, but they were giving us space at their tables to, to introduce ourselves to the city. So it's a great industry and we are lucky to be a part, I think of this, this sort of newer wave um, that does have more women owners. And um, so there's good community there. And I think you know, we are, we, the story we tell about our brewery is not one of like hype beers. Like we want to brew beers that you can have two or three of the same beer and just like want to keep coming back to that rather than a beer that's going to blow out your palate and be like, whoa, that was crazy. I never want that again, but I'm glad that I tried it. Um, 
we want you to want our beers again. And I think there is, you know, the, the breweries and the beers that get the most attention are the ones that are sort of like the weirdest, right. And in many ways, um, not in a negative way at all, like they're experimental and fun, but you don't necessarily want more than one of them. And that's been part of our ethos. It very much aligns with our mission of right, being an accessible place that um, really focuses on, on quality and balance. And that's how we brew. And I think our beers are really, really excellent. And I know we've, we talked a little bit about our lagers in particular, like that's a style that we are great at. Um, but it's not a hype style and we're not people who are like trying to hype it up because ultimately like it's just beer and beer is great and beer should be enough as it is. Um, so we are definitely still growing the word about the beer as a separate product from the mission, but it's def it's getting there. It's uh, I think more and more people are coming to us who don't know about the mission and in a way that's really exciting for us because in the very beginning, we were just this, this social justice brewery and, and that was great. And that has connected us with a lot of amazing community members and customers and our beer is so good. And we want you to want to come and just have a beer too. Um, and so that's sort of where we are right now. I feel like that's happening and that's super exciting. Heck yeah. And on the subject of loggers, but although I will put in a plug that Triple Bottom is also great at other things. Uh, and Good Attitude Pale Ale is my favorite pale ale in the city. Uh, so, but to go back to loggers for a sec, one of the very first things that Matt and I talked about when we started this podcast, uh, and that has inadvertently become a recurring theme is this term year of the logger. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, have you heard the term before? B, do you think this is the year of the logger? And C, if not, then when is the year of the logger? How will we know? <laughs> How will we know? I've heard that term so many times and I feel like it's been used about like each of the last three years. So I don't know when it really happens. Um, we've certainly been seeing like our loggers are taking off more this year than they were in the past. And I think part of that is just like, we've gotten better and better. But part of that is that people are kind of burnt out on super hoppy IPAs and the lagers are just like this, like, oh yeah, wow. That was my first beer was a lager and look how there's, so there's this nostalgia element of it, but there's also this just like, God, there's so many types of lagers and breweries are now getting way more adventurous with the different types they try to brew. Like for a long time, craft breweries really only brewed ales, right? Because it's way easier to brew an ale. It's faster turnaround. Um, So it's only been in the last few years that craft breweries have really been doing many lagers. Um, And I think once craft got its hand on lagers, it's like, well, now let's try a New Zealand Pilsner and now let's try a Marizin and a Festbier. And it's so much more than just like an American golden lager. Um, and I think that's, that has taken a little bit for breweries to pick up on and then for customers to catch, you know, but I think it's catching. And so whether or not this was the year of the lager, maybe it's next year, but I think it's growing for sure. So I'm going to steal uh, some of Chris's thunder. Cause he always asks this question. And I always think it's such like a fun question, but you talk about how you're not a beer nerd and your space, your physical space truly reflects that. I mean, there's nothing that feels beer nerdy about your space. It feels like the most welcoming, inviting, airy, beautiful room you can like kind of think of. Can you tell us about the space um, and can you tell us about what went into the design of it? Yeah, for sure. So for folks who have not been to our tap room, we're at 9th and Spring Garden Street and we're in the super cool old building that was the original offices of the Reading Railroad. Um, So it's this 100 plus year old building with huge windows and we walked into the space and it just, it felt like home. And I think to us, we wanted home to feel different than you typically see in a brewery. we wanted it to feel that openness and that airiness that you talked about. And part of that is very mission-based, right? It's uh, 
an acknowledgement of sort of creating a trauma-informed space and recognizing that that the typical sort of like dungeon warehouse vibe of breweries is not going to feel particularly welcoming to folks who have been incarcerated, right? So like, how can we signal to our team this sense of safety and openness? And so that like actual physical openness of both the layout and the windows and the sort of brighter colors is all very intentionally done to to advance this mission of creating a safe space for people to come back to the workforce. Um, and it also is a dis, sort of a distinguishing factor in terms of signaling to our customers that we're doing something different, that we feel different. It sort of welcomes a different crowd of customers than necessarily is coming to breweries. We get a lot of comments, you know, we, we do get a lot of beer nerds who come in and want to hang out. And we get a lot of people who are like, we're brought along for the ride. Right. And then walk in, they're like, oh, wow, this is, feels really different and cool. And so I think it has helped us sort of invite new people into the craft brewery world who maybe didn't see themselves in some of the other spaces that have been created. Um, and that was the goal, right. Is again, like this, this place is for everyone. Beer is for everyone. And this is just sort of like the physical um, illustration of that. I was already bought in, but like I'm getting more <laughs> bought in through, through yeah. this interview. Uh, yeah, I I love going to Triple Bottom, uh, period. Uh, and also, I partly love it because when I do bring someone new, like actually I, I was there just a couple of days ago, brought a friend who's a friend of mine from out of town, beer person, Matt. And uh, I love the reaction people have when they first walk in and they see the space because it is notably different as you described from other places. And it also connects to like your brand as you described, but even the color scheme gets down to the brand. Can you, um, I guess this is a two-part question. Can you tell us, you mentioned the big open windows. If someone walks in to Triple Bottom, what do they see uh, for those who haven't been there? And then uh, in addition to the thought process behind it, uh, behind the physical space, what has been some of the thought proce process of the branding, like logos, can art, um, color schemes, things like that? Yeah, so to take you on a an imaginary tour of yes, right. So you come up from pretty busy Spring Garden Street. It's a busy commercial corridor in Philly. The neighborhood that we are in has a lot of old industrial spaces, a lot of vacant spaces, and that's something that is sort of beginning to change. Um, it probably we'll see a, a good amount of change in the next few years. But our building was a big vacant building. And you walk up from this sidewalk onto our patio, which we have planted with a lot of like local plants. Uh, we have a sort of big um, like turquoise arbor, I guess is the word over the patio. And turquoise is one of our, our colors in our brand. Um, and then you walk through this like big, big blue door into the brewery. And uh, it's, it's a big space. It's all original hardwood floors from the early 1900s. Uh, if you look straight ahead, you'll see our bar, which is um, super cool. It's a big like round bar and has a zinc top and turquoise painted bottoms. And it was built for us by this super cool um, program in Wilmington called the Challenge Program, which works with young people who've been involved in the juvenile justice system and does a lot of carpentry apprenticeship. So a lot of like what is in the space is also very mission aligned. Um, if you look to the right as you walk in, there's a cozy corner with a couch and comfy chairs and a big beautiful mural above it that was painted by a local artist named Dora Cuenca. Um, if you keep going straight back, You've got all your sort of high tops and they're all sort of under the windows. And then there's a room in the back that can close. It can be a private event space. And we call that the mural room because it has a huge floor to ceiling mural of um, just a great sort of like color pattern that was designed for us by one of our original bartenders um, who's now on her way to being a famous artist. So we're so proud of her, Serena. Son. That's exciting. Yeah. What was the name again? 
Serena Saunders. Everyone go look her up. She's the Sweet. best. We'll tag her in the show notes. Yes. Um, so she did the mural. And all along, as you're walking back, all along your right side, there's windows and they look into the brew house. So everything is right there. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the tour, I think. That's that was great. a great tour. You did it justice. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Um, we used to have a streetery also, but I don't know if you guys saw it got hit by a truck. Yes. Yeah, we saw that. <laughs> Just this week, it got hit by like a, a semi. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, my gosh so that's gone and uh it's fine the city had changed <laughs> all of its policies anyway and was uh we weren't going to be able to keep it as is so we were planning uh, to take it down just we thought we had like a few more good weeks of it <laughs> and uh that truck had other things in mind <laughs> oh no well at least no one got hurt and at least yeah. the truck driver stopped and was really nice about it i, I was reading that the truck yeah drivers- everything was like you know given that it was hit everything went as well as it could have gone <laughs> free demolition yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so we don't want to take up too much more of your time and once again we we're, we appreciate everything you've given us um this has been such a wonderful uh discussion um just one more time, we wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, like the new branding that's coming up. And and that kind of really ropes into my last question is, which is where does Triple Bottom go from here? What, where do you see this? How do you see this company growing? And what can we expect um, from Triple Bottom in the coming years? Yeah, thank you for the reminder about branding. Um, we are we are releasing some new branding right now which we're super excited about we love our brand it is i think very uh again distinctive it uses like lots of like bright sort of positive colors our logo is this hop in the middle of a row of row houses with the city skyline behind it to show like this beer sort of being the center of community at every level Um, and the hop has three leaves which is one for each of our bottom lines um, so beer people planet and that hop. Uh, and so we're, we're keeping that. That's something that we love, but we wanted to make it just a little bolder. And I think that's sort of in line with where we're going to, right? Like we have built our business on a set of really clear values that are about inclusion and empathy, um, and quality making great beer. And we are realizing as we learn more about, as we experience more of the world and more of our industry, like what we are doing is really bold. It's really brave. It's really different. Um, and I think our team feels that way and our, and our community partners feel that way. And so we really want to step into that, um, in a stronger way and like keep those values that define us and just get a little louder about them and also get more fun and really, you know, build the brand of the beer, um, and so that's what our sort of our next iteration is. This new brand is bolder, more vivid colors. It's bolder lines. It's more sort of like fun font. And uh, I think it really makes a statement. It continues the sort of like whimsical art forward branding that we've had before that really lifts up lots of great artists. Um, it's, you know, an echo of our vision that everyone in every community should have the opportunity to craft something great that's what we're trying to do with our branding too is like create space for people to do that um but it's really exciting and i think that's sort of the energy that we're taking into the next year plus of triple bottom it's like this boldness of we are going to continue to make great beer and we're going to tell the story even louder we're going to think about you know what is next for us is it a second location is it new partnerships we've got a lot of conversations in the works that are really exciting. And so we're just sort of ready for, for whatever the leap is um, and preparing ourselves. We feel like our team is really strong. Our beer is in a really great place. And so we're ready to, to just sort of ride the wave. Or as my general manager will say, ride the lightning. Heck, <laughs> yes, go bold. We're yes. here for it. Hell yeah. And, uh, as a like tangenting off of that beer people planet so when matt and i were trying to come up with a name for this podcast it it was not lost on us that 
our name is in your like mission. And we were taking inspiration from your branding when we created this podcast because we wanted the our logo and font to be as welcoming. And this is like in our Google Doc from when we started, it was like emulate triple bottom. <laughs> and we we're like, oh, we can't do the turquoise. We'd love to, but we'll go pink and purple instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're here for it. We love that you're going bold and it's a bold mission and a bold thing you're doing. And it's only right that the branding, you know, matches that. That's so exciting. Yeah. Thanks. And what you guys are doing and the stories that you're helping to tell, it's just, it's so amazing to be a part of it with you guys right now. And I'm so grateful that you're here building this industry up and pushing it to be even better and celebrating the good things. It's great. So I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, heck yeah. No, it is an honor. And thank you for saying that. This is a pleasure. And like I said, I'm like jazz. I was already jazzed about Triple Bottom. I tell everybody about it. I'm even more jazz now than I was in the beginning. I didn't think that was possible. Amazing. I'm so glad. <laughs> I did my job. <laughs> well, Tess, thank you for coming on. Um, like I was saying earlier, we, we were just so pleased that we could set this up. Uh, we can't wait to come in and see you in person again at your beautiful space and continue to follow you and your team and all the great initiatives that you do. Thank you so much for everything that you, you do, the beer that you, you, know, you put forward. And we just can't wait to see where Triple Bottom goes from here. We are also ready to ride the lightning with you. And, you know, we really encourage all of our listeners to get to triple bottom, uh, sometimes overlooked, but you will never be disappointed in walking in that space. The beer is great. The people are better. And um, you're really going to have something, a really memorable experience um, at triple bottom. So Tess, thank you. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, like, the, thank you. Thank you guys. I can't wait to see you soon. And, uh, yeah, it's been a treat. Go Phillies. Go Phils. <laughs> well, Chris, that was uh, everything I had hoped for and more from that interview. Tess was awesome as to be expected, but also just hearing the depth of the work that she's doing and where it, that kind of mindset came from the one thing that stuck with me is when she talked about bringing um you know recycling bins to her school growing up because her school didn't recycle uh for for me that just like stuck with me in the moment because it just shows that not only does she say it but she backs it up and she's always backed it up and that's the kind of genuine person that um that I've always thought she would be and the kind of person who does the great work that she does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tess and the Triple Bottom crew are setting a, a standard that I was going to say a high standard, but kind of like she said, their goal is that this isn't a high standard and that this just kind of becomes standard practice uh, for everybody. And yeah, they're putting heart, mind, soul, time, and a lot of energy into it. Yeah. And not only are they doing great work, but their beer is great too. So, I mean, they're not sacrificing anything to do any of the great work they're doing, which is even more incredible. They're able to meet all these goals and they're able to set this standard while not sacrificing anything that someone would expect who just wants to go to a brewery. But hopefully when people go to a brewery like Triple Bottom, they not only enjoy the experience that they expected, but they enjoy the experience that they didn't expect and maybe don't even know about that it's happening right in front of them. So just a really incredible brewery doing really incredible things and hopefully setting a standard that one day, like you said, and like Tess said, will just be the norm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if there's, I would say they are also contributing to the argument for the year of the lager uh, yes. that we are perpetually having and started on episode one with John Paradiso because um, they're putting out great loggers. And speaking of their rebranding and then our branding, um, I would encourage everybody to check out at Lodi Creates on Instagram. It's L-O-T-I-E Creates on Instagram. That's Lotus Baron. She did the artwork for our podcast. Um, she's really fantastic. And also, um, 
we are we wanted to just give you a little preview of what else is coming up this season um there's going to be two types of episodes we've got full episodes with new guests like the one that you just heard with tess and then we also have mini episodes where we're catching up with guests from former seasons so next week we'll have a mini sode catching up with former guest melissa walter and you can catch us between now and then on Instagram at Beer People Podcast. Our email address is beerpeoplepodcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or thoughts for guests. And our newly redesigned website, beerpeople.xyz. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. <laughs>